And welcome to the sit down where we have conversations with creators from across this beautiful motherland of ours. My name is Malcolm Boy, a filmmaker and an all-round story lover. Today we're sitting down with Mohamed Zain, aka Moha, who is an amazing steadicam operator, cinematographer, and the co-owner of Mojo Productions. Under his belt, he's done numerous commercials for brands such as Safaricom, Telecom, Airtel, name them. He's been there and done that. And today he's sitting down with us to tell us how this whole process began. So settle in and let's hear what he has to say. We are recording this over Zoom, so we apologize for any sound inconsistencies that we might have. Then I guess the most important question to begin with is who's Mohammed and yeah, who are you? What are you about? So Mohammed is this guy here. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, a very simple guy. You know, uh, uh, I've been doing filmmaking for a long time now. Uh, I, I, however, I did start with animation. Oh, so really? My, yeah, so my background, I mean, when I was studying, I did animation and then uh, I was always interested in cameras and stuff, you know. So uh, after I finished the animation course, they do give you a little bit of all those uh, other things as well. Then when I came back after studying, uh, I, I worked on animation for like three years. And, and I just couldn't do it anymore, sitting in front of the computer for hours and hours rendering. And yeah, then I always wanted to to film, you know, and photography was also my thing. So I started pursue, uh, pursuing that. So I bought my first camera. I started taking a lot of photos and then slowly started going on, on people's shoots. Yeah. And, uh, as like a, how would I say? It's, you wouldn't say it's not like DIT because before people used to shoot on film and uh, or, or tapes, but uh, what we used to do is before the signal goes to the client, it passes through my machine which I digitize, and I make a quick edit for the director. You know, and the director by the time we finish the shoot, we have a really rough edit. It doesn't it's not about the best shots, but just to see if the structure of the story is there. And that's how I used to, you know, go into shoots. And I really wanted to shoot. So slowly I started just, you know, doing my own things. Then did you, if we segue to the beginning, did this, is it like you are, are you like a child and you thought, ah, the first toy was a camera? Like, what's the beginning of this journey? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. you know, let me tell you, I, I mean, I was always fascinated with uh, cameras. Like uh, when we were young, my, my cousin used to have this camera. They used to have this little, uh, just to be this little cardboard box. And you have a little, this little plastic uh, screen, uh, frame. You take photos and then you develop them and then throw away disposable cameras. I mean, even just that uh, having a disposable camera for me was what like, the, whoa. First of all, a disposable camera. What is this? <laughs> it's just a film. Yeah. In a cardboard box and has a little plastic lens in front. Oh, so so you, you buy the camera, which is loaded with film. You take photos, yeah. and when you give it to the uh, to, to Kodak or whoever, they will rip the box off and get the film out. But then you have to throw the camera because oh, it's made wow. out of actually uh, it's a box. Yeah, it's a cardboard. Like box. a cardboard, yeah. 
Uh -huh. So you had and you had this cardboard disposable cameras, and then I I didn't have it. My your brother, your cousin had it. Yeah. I always had to like, can I take one photo, please? <laughs> I, let me, or let me just see it, then I give it to you to click. Yeah. So and then the like things like uh, there was a time my cousin was getting married, and uh, we had this uh, uh, a guy who was doing video. Those days they used to have these big VHS cameras. He had this uh, 500 watt uh, light. Yeah. We had to connect it to the socket and he couldn't shoot and do the lighting. So I said, look, you just give me this light. I will hold it for you wherever you go. I'll be standing <laughs> behind you. I point the light and my oh job my is to... How yeah, old I, were I, you at this point that you are literally... I was, I think, about maybe 14, 15, maybe there. Gosh. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, I didn't find it like like uh, I have to carry this thing, move around and hold it like this, like the whole day. For me, it was like, what? I am part of this crew, you know? So, I know. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so was it something in school, if you had this desire, what, what inspired this sense of, you know, that attraction to the to cameras and images? And is it something your parents brought to you? Is it something you know, you're taught? Is it? You know, I think also, you know, the, like when we were, I was in school, there used to be this program on KBC. Some, I don't remember the exact name, but it used to be about top 20 movies in America or something like that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they used to have this behind the scene of a film. And it used to fascinate me a lot. Like, I mean, I would look at the behind the scene and I'm like, whoa, how do they make all these animations and movies and things like that? So always... I was the guy who liked to be behind the scenes, you know. So, yeah. And in school also, we used to do a lot of stage plays and things like that. So, in terms of art, drawing, it was my thing, you know. I used to, like, I used to love drawing. Uh, I used to love um, anything, anything to build, you know, uh, anything you, where you have to make something out of, you know, art and crafts and things like that. Yeah. So, I think it's all, you know. And then even when we were young, when you were watching TV, and when an ad comes, I mean, for me, that's the interesting part. I don't want my my parents to change the channel or, you know, I'm like, no, no, wait, let's watch this ad. Are you serious? So everyone was trying yeah, to... Yeah, I used to love, I used love TVCs a lot. Uh, well, that is so interesting that you're doing that now. What a, Okay, so the 14-year-old... Yeah, I, mean, I, I, yeah. I, I guess that's the thing. Like, if you really want something, and sometimes, you know, when you're young, you... You don't know what to do or you don't have a guide. Like in my time, I tell you, there was no guide in terms of somebody who would push you in terms of art, you know. Yes, people tell you, be a doctor or a lawyer, engineer, architecture. That's the best you can get in terms of art. But nobody would push you to film or animation because uh, it was not considered as a career, you know. It's like, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, then you are somebody. You know, otherwise you are, the other thing is a hobby. But my parents, they, they didn't have anything like that. So when I said I want to go into this arts, they're like, yeah, okay, try it. See how it goes. If it doesn't work, then you can be the doctor. So what did the 14-year-old, how did the 14-year-old transition? How did the 14-year-old move from helping the camera guy shoot the, the wedding? What, what happened next? Yeah, so after the 14-year-old, was holding that light for all the time. I mean, there was just a moment in my life I thought it was this is so interesting, but then I didn't have 
too many moments like that because nobody in my family really was a person of cameras or um, anything to do with with uh, video or anything. So it was just me, you know, that's how it was. And uh, after finishing school, uh, and as I said, I really wanted to know how this animation and things were done. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so a friend of mine who was studying in India, he said, look, there's this college and they teach this animation thing. If you're interested, I'm like, yeah, sure. I would really want to do that. Then I went to India. And then that's why I did animation. But then again, that thing of, of filming was still there. And I, I think... I, even when I did animation, maybe that was not the right thing, but it was still a good step for me because I now I have a really good post-production. Uh, uh, you know, when you're shooting something, you know how you can... I mean, I, I hate to say it, it's like the thing of we'll fix it in post kind of thing, but <laughs> but uh, we we don't do that so much, but you know what is what is the capability in post and something you can actually fix even yourself. So it's an advantage because sometimes you can spend hours fixing something and it's so easy to clean it up, you know. So the, of course, the animation and the post uh, background really help. Yeah. So how, how, how long did you stay in India? How was that experience like? How was the school like? Yeah, the, the India thing was like, uh, I was there for one year. The actual course was two years because is, you study and you have time to practice. And so it's broken down into two years, but it's like modules, you know. And you can do a fast track where you don't have too much time of practice, but you're always you're always going to classes. Uh, that way you finish it one year, and I had to do that because of budget. I didn't have money to, like, you know, to spend two years. And uh, one year was something which my parents would could afford, you know. So I did that fast track story, and uh, I tried and finished everything I could in within one year. When I came back, I had, a, you know, at that time, internet was not like a thing. So everything you had to read from books. So I had carried like books like this thick, you know, which has, it comes with a, uh, a CD and uh, some tutorials and, you know, you learn how to do the software. And when you, when I got the, my first project for animation, that's when I realized, shit, I really need so much experience, you know, because, you can be taught as you are, you are, you have been taught and you move to the next one and you move to the next one. But by the time you finish, you've forgotten the first thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the practice is what you really need. It's, that's the, I think it's, in our business, the experience is really, really the thing, you know? Because anyone who comes out of college, yes, you can have a degree, but when you have your first job, it's nothing like um, what you've been taught. There's so many challenges and this and that, and you really need that experience really comes. And of course, you make so many mistakes, you know. I mean, yeah. I made so many, but you learn. And, and what happens when you came back? When you came back, you've done this one-year program. Where did you begin? Yeah, what did so you... when, I, when I came back, I was like, now I need to look for a job because, you know, you're, the way you're taught in school is like, first you finish school, you get a good result, then you go to college, then you get a degree, then you go your first job and there's, you know, promotion. And I, it's not like that in our industry, of course, and I didn't know that. So after I came, I'm looking for a job and uh, um, I've been sending my CVs to everyone, animation, all the TV stations I sent. I, I didn't get any replies. I don't know. Then, because, you know, you're try, trying to talk to so many people, uh, there's somebody who said, look, there's this, um, 
uh, this, this company called Ram Jammers, and they used to do editing. So they said, look, there's these guys who do editing. If you are interested, you can just go. They're not going to pay you anything, but you can sit with them and see if anything comes out. And maybe, let's see how it goes. So my first job, I wore a tie and everything <laughs> for the interview. And I'm seeing those guys there. They're in shorts. Like, what's going on in this industry? But yeah, I was with the wrong wardrobe. But anyway, so I, I joined Ram Jammers for like, uh, I think I stayed there for like a, a, a week. Uh, Frankie, she was the, Frankie Shurya, she was the editor there at that time. And I mean, she was really good with editing and stuff, of course. And I was not an editor, I was just doing animation. So, uh, of course, I stayed there for a week and then they said, look, maybe we are in the wrong place, but there's another company. They are trying to do animation and maybe you can fit there better. I said, okay, let's try that. And uh, the company was called uh, Digital Design. Uh, I don't know if it's still there, but it's just a new setup and uh, the people who, who are just they invested in this, but they are not animators themselves. So they said, look, you know how to do these things. We'll get you the jobs and you do the animation. And I sat there for like a year and I did a few small jobs and they're not too big. And after that, I met uh, Moses Nderitu and he was, uh, he's, he's just, he just done uh, Omopika Box at that time. And when I met him and I said, look, this is what I can do. I said, look, you know what? I need a guy like you because I have so much of this sort of work. I'm like, okay, because uh, digital design at that time, I was like, I wanted to leave because there was not much work and I couldn't just go there every day to just sit and wait for the jobs to come and things like that. So I, at that moment, I decided, uh, let me try freelance, you know, maybe I do things on my own and let's see how it goes. So luckily I met Moses at that time and uh, we hit it off really nicely. I mean, he started doing this game shows, um, Amo Box and... Uh, there was this blue band, some game show there, and a lot of stuff, and which required so much animation, you know, because you have an intro and this and that. And, and from that point, I started getting into this, uh, like this um, industry properly, you know, with uh, Moses. And he used to do his part, I used to do my part, and I used to still be a freelancer, but we, it was a good, good partnership. Yeah, and then for, that's the time when I also, after two years, then I started getting tired of animation and this thing of photography and shooting was always a thing it was a seed was always there you know and because of being with these guys i i was always on set and that's when i like you know this is what i really need to do so i bought my first camera dslr uh, because now i could at least uh, after those jobs i could afford one and i really got the hang of uh, photography and things like that from learning using the camera and learning from people because at that time a lot of uh, foreigners used to also come and shoot so like a director would come a dop would come and if you are on set you're always following them if you have to bring coffee to them it's okay you know but you're asking questions and they're telling you stuff and people people if you ask them nicely they i guess they're willing to share their knowledge you know so i did get a lot of hands-on experience on set as well you know because you're just following people, you're watching, you're learning, and then you try to do the same thing when you have a project, you know, maybe not on the big budget, of course, because, I mean, when you're new, nobody will give you a chance to, <laughs> you know, on a big budget job because 
you don't have a reel or anything. So you have to be patient. A bit of struggle, of course. It's part of, I guess, um, success, you know. And, and yeah, you struggle a little. And I, I, I did that for, for a few years, you know. And until when uh, I used to actually get jobs from agencies, like, Mohan, you need to direct this. Can you do this? And this was even, even sometimes the jobs used to be like, when they cannot afford a, a foreign director and stuff, and you know this guy he can fit your budget, you give him a chance. And for me, it was perfect. Yeah, let's do it, you know. And uh, that's how I built my real and reputation. So, how, was it a hard transition? Because it feels like you spent so many years building this animation, um, quote unquote, career or profile. How was the transition like when you had to sort of like change hats? You know. Was it fast that you decided to become a you know a cinematographer? Was it a quick transition? Was it difficult? What was that experience like? Was the knowledge the same? How did that feel like? You know, it, it does it does take time for the transition to happen. But the thing is that what I've realized here is you see, if you are selling yourself as I am a guy who does animation, and maybe you can do other things, but you just sell yourself as animation. If you sell yourself as I'm doing this and this and this and that people will not remember you, you know? So when I, I mean, animation was the thing, even if I had a car, I had put some stickers on the side, it, I had called it the animator, <laughs> stick on top, and that was my thing. But then when, I, once I got tired of animation, I had to. <laughs> Remove all of them. <laughs> so what did you call, what was the new sticker? No, what, no, no, actually what happened was I, I, I sold that car before, I, so it was okay. I did that. <laughs> Yeah, but you see, the thing is, then when I started doing this, I actually stopped doing animation. And even if I did any animation, I was not selling myself as I also do animation, but I also do this and I will, because then uh, people don't remember you. Like even here, sometimes with crew, you can have somebody who will, who will operate the camera for you, but he also knows how to do a bit of sound, you know, so he can do sound and he can do. Now, when you're thinking of a camera guy, you'll think of those people who, You'll not think of that guy who does this and that and that. It, it won't come in your head. But you'll think of, I need a sound guy. You'll think of the guy who does sound, not the camera guy who also can do sound, you know. So it's important, I think, if you set yourself that I want to do this, you, you, you can wear many hats behind, you know. When, if I shoot something and I don't find an editor and I have to put it together, I can do it. But I will not say that I'm an editor. Mm, and mm. everyone confuses you that who are you are you you know so yeah i mean the transition did take a little bit of time but then people slowly started getting used to me as shooting and had even forgotten that i used to do animation at one point you know yeah yeah, yeah people forget fast you know so it's a good thing I, luckily yeah. luckily enough unless you made some blunders that they will never forget, <laughs> never forget. <laughs> The good thing there. Yeah, they're calling you 10 years yeah. later. They're like, hey, Moha, um, I have an animation. Oh, um, no, no, I stopped shooting, but okay. Some, you know, some people, I mean, Pete called me when after like, you said like five years ago, I guess, that, hey, you did animation, right? Like, uh, no, I don't do it anymore, but I have somebody. <laughs> and that's how it, the conversation continues. Yeah. So how how did that journey on once you switched to cinematography? What was the journey between you moving from yeah, um, I'm a camera operator, I, I DOP, to you saying I want to be a steady cam operator and really sort of 
packaging yeah. yourself in that way. What was that journey like? What happened in that space? See, for me, I think what has always worked for me is if I, when I decided that I want to do, uh, I want to create commercials or things like that, or like a director and operate the camera as well, I would not uh, uh, look for the big projects. First, uh, what I used to do is do my own things, you know, uh, shoot, shoot small commercials, like a, a client who, who will tell you, look, I have this uh, product and um, I don't have any agency or anything and I just need a commercial. I just want it to go out, you know. And you're like, look, okay, and what is your budget? And the budget is like nothing. It's so important for you to hire a camera and it's like you're hardly making making anything. For me, it was just, let me do those sort of, those sort of jobs to just build my reel, you know, things like that. And even things like Steadicam, you know, I mean, I I bought my, you know, uh, in like 2014, uh, I was on set for Sense8 One, and I wasn't doing Steadicam at that time. And there was a guy who was doing Steadicam there, and a really good Steadicam operator by the way, and. For some reason, I was not interested in it so much. And after we finished the shoot, and there was a time I was filming my kids with my phone, and I was like, you know, this footage is so shaky. I need to fix this. So I started searching, how can I make this footage <laughs> you know, a little more stable? And then I got, I saw the Steadicam thing, and I got so interested, and I said, hey, you know what, maybe I need to try this thing. So I bought my first rig, and I used to just practice by myself or just use it only on my own projects. So even if I blunder, I know I'm going to fix it or something, you know. But it took me about almost two years. Then I started uh, like in 2016 or something like that. I said, look, now I think I have enough practice. I can, let me sh- let me sell myself out there as a Steadicam operator. And I, I think I have enough experience. And that's what I, so you, because you don't want to, Say I am a static because you just have the rig and now you're a It's not that easy. And if you go on somebody's set and you blunder, they will never call you. You know? So you at least you need that much time to practice on your own first. And then automatically comes a time you feel like, you know what, I think I'm ready for my next step. And then you can put yourself out there. But uh, otherwise, if you just decide because you watched a couple of videos. And you walked in the office back and forth with the study cam, and now I'm a study cam operator. No, it's, it would not be a good thing because you will ruin your reputation. And you know, you are you on somebody's uh, you're on a production, and on a production, time is money, and you cannot be making mistakes and doing silly things, you're wasting people's time, you know. So, and I, I think there seems to be like a, a connected thread so far in terms of you being able to see something focus on it and evolve and almost like it's not fully repackaged, but really absorb yourself in that and say, okay, from today onwards, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Where did that come from? Is it something that naturally occurs to you or is it something that you learned or built over time? Your ability to just see something that you feel like that's the path I want to take and just, you know, change, take it up and, and run with it. I think it's that you, what you just said is like, you you see something and you feel like, hey, that's interesting. I want to know how to do that. And then there's a lot of things you can try. And then you you feel like, uh, no, this is not something I want to go with. You let like for example, I tell you uh, having a, a gimbal, you know, 
So I thought, let me, let me, maybe this gimbal thing is super interesting. Let me, uh, so a friend of mine had a gimbal and I said, look, why don't you, instead of sitting at home, why don't you give it to me? I keep it in the office and I will practice with it. And if somebody needs it, I can be able to hire it out for you. He said, yeah, perfect. Uh, so I used to practice with it a lot here and I thought, ah, you know, this is not my cup of tea, you know. And so there are some things in life, I guess, you try and you feel like, no, leave it. And then there are some things you feel like, no, this, you are, like Steadicam was some, one of those things for me. I mean, I loved it so much, you know, and uh, I said, no, this is something I want to really pursue, you know. So you know, the thing about Steadicam is, uh, you know, a lot of people come and ask me like, hey, Moha, can you train? I'm like, yeah, okay, I can train somebody, but it's very hard for me to train somebody on my Steadicam because it's a, a personal thing because I wear the thing, my sweat is in it. You know, now I cannot be giving out to people to put it on as well. So uh, it's if you have a Steadicam, then maybe we can train together. The thing is, having a Steadicam is an, a very expensive piece of equipment, you know. So for me, it was like, look, I want to try this, but I'm not sure, can I, do I want to spend so much money on it or not? <laughs> yeah, so that's I, a good question. Yeah, yeah. so and because you can buy it, and or I mean, first of all, it's so expensive because you'd almost have to, uh, I mean, really save for a long time or get a loan or something like that because it's very expensive. Uh, but I said, look, if I want to learn how to use these things, I have to get one. So I did a bit of research on, on the internet and then I said, of course, there's always a Chinese knockoff yeah. you know, somewhere <laughs> out there. And I said, oh, perfect. It's like a tenth of a price. I won't feel so bad if I get this thing and then I decide uh, it's not my cup of tea, it's not my thing and hang it in the cupboard. I wouldn't feel so bad. I mean, of course, I'll feel a little bit, bit bad because I still it's still money there, you know. But it's something you can, you know, it's not the, the very expensive. Top of the line, yeah. 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 So I bought that Chinese thing and I practiced with it and it was it was amazing. It worked, you know. I mean, of course, it has its, its you cannot compare, but it does the job and you can learn from it. And once... I, I, once I decided, no, this is what I wanted to do, and I started doing other people's projects, and I was still using the Chinese game, and that's when I realized, no, I mean, I need to up my game. You know, so I had a friend who helped me with some cash, and I had some, saved some money, and then I decided to just get the actual study cam. And even for me, I, I didn't buy a brand new one. I bought a second-hand one uh, in really good... I, I got lucky. I got a good deal. Uh, and uh, at least now... If I'm on somebody's set, I am using, you know, the real thing. And sometimes, you know, it's so like uh, you can use a Chinese thing and your shot can be nice and straight. But if your client looks at the rig and say, which, and you say, oh, it's uh, already your, you know, already in their mind, the shot is not good enough because you're using this Chinese thing. So sometimes, uh, you know, our industry sometimes is so, how can I say, like visual, you know, if you are, if you have an airy, then you are a, a guy who's shooting good stuff. If you have a, a smaller DSLR, then I don't know because are you good enough? So it's, or are you using a Mac? Oh, then you must be a good editor because PC, you know, I don't know. I think it's, it's so like that. So you make sure you have to have good gear. So how do you, how do you keep up? I guess, at least to the Steadicam, let's, over the years, there's been, Changes that have happened are a trinity, or, but generally, uh, it hasn't really changed that much across 
um, the point of invention to like, they've added a few things in there, but the basic concept has still been there. But how do you keep up with an industry, especially when you're making commercials and shooting commercials where the, the next coolest equipment plays also almost plays a big role in like deciding whether this is the, the best person for the job. How do you, how do you play around in such a space? How do you work around such a space? Yeah, I mean, okay, the thing about Steadicam is from the time it was invented, it took a, a really long time before there was a major uh, change in it, you know? I mean, they would make it lighter, more, uh, carry more heavy cameras or put some more electronics for other things, you know? But the concept of the Steadicam still remained the same, where somebody puts a rig and the camera is there and it's all physics, you know, the, uh, everything about balance. and from the last two, three years where the gimbal came up and then now the Trinity, which is like a hybrid. It's a Steadicam yet a gimbal, you know? And of course, it's an amazing piece of equipment. Also super expensive. Expensive. You know? <laughs> super yeah. And expensive. I mean, in our, to be honest, in the thing about uh, our industry now is if you invest in such a expensive in, uh, gear, by the time you make your money out of it, it will be it will take so long, and something new will come up. You know, I mean, for me, think about it. I bought my after I got my Steadicam, and two years later, the Trinity is out, and now everyone thinks the Trinity is the yes, of course, it can do amazing things because you can go from so low to a high with a Steadicam. You you either go higher or you flip it and you do your low shots, but from low to high, it was it's it's not possible. You know, and but you know the thing is, how many times, how many, how many productions are going to use that particular shot? You know, like you are going to start from low and go all the way up, or shoot from outside and go into a, a, a through a window, you know, of a car or something. So yes, those those tools are also there, but then there's they're all tools, and sometimes the Trinity becomes more cumbersome because of all that. And a Steadicam is more of a right tool to use, you know, at certain places. Like even, for example, a gimbal. A gimbal is a really good thing, you know, because you can hold it from down up. But it's so hard to use a gimbal sometimes because, first of all, you have to be super strong. Of course, there are all those now rigs to hold the gimbal. But it has its limitations, you know. It's also, it's all those things are controlled by motors and computers and things like that. Whereas a Steadicam is more organic. You know, it's like a, almost like your 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 eyes, the way you move your head and things like that. So sometimes, yes, you need a gimbal, and sometimes you would go for a Steadicam. So it's all the tools. There's different tools for the right, uh, you know, shot. But of course, then there is that perception that hey, if you have a Trinity, but I guess we are not there yet. And if a client would really want a Trinity because there is a certain shot which is needed then you can always uh, get it from abroad, you know. You just get it for that day, uh, use it or get the operator because it's also a Trinity is not something I would say, if I put it on, I'll be able to, I mean, I'll have to work on it, you know, for a few months before I I can say I can, I'm a Trinity operator. So it's at, at that particular time, it would be just better to just get somebody with the Trinity, do the shots and that's it. And for yeah. the rest of it, you have your steady cam, you know. And how is it like in the space? I'm, I may not be conversant enough, but I don't know if we have, at least in the Kenyan context, 
do you are there a lot of steadicam operators are there what's that what's that space yes. like first of all the thing about the steadicam is it's so new i mean not new i mean it's, it has been there but it's not a very common thing you find on a kenyan set especially the set which is doing uh tv series and stuff they'll be shooting with three cameras uh, all of them on tripod or sometimes handheld or uh, dolly maybe sliders but uh, you would not see a steady cam because I, i don't know because maybe people think it's a very expensive thing uh, or i don't know maybe people don't know about steady cam so much but at least now they started they've started using the gimbals it's a good thing so uh it's not a very common thing that's the thing and we are, if you say i think there are like two steady cam operators uh in nairobi and yes there are other people who also have some those like the way i'm talking about the chinese noco and people have bought those ones as well or just like the way i bought one for practicing and stuff but i don't know if uh, anyone would you know I, i don't know anyone else who's doing steady cam maybe they are doing it on their own things okay. yeah and how how does that affect you and you deciding is that a good thing is that a bad thing is that a profitable I thing think the more more would be better because if people start using you see the jobs are always there i would say like if i have another i think there is another steady cam operator they will take my jobs if the more the steady cam operator probably the more people would want to hire you know and like for me with the uh, sami is another steady cam operator and sometimes a client calls me and say mohad this this job uh these are the dates I'm like oh no i'm not available but i have somebody else can i have you worked with this guy okay can you give me his number and he does the same thing for me sometimes if he's booked we just sometimes have a little joke like wait was i for me to know is was i the first one did they call or was i the second one but it's okay it doesn't matter and it's you know you get the joke uh, yeah 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 and so i what do you think you know looking at in the kenyan context at least what do you think the the future looks like in at least in the study cam era in the avenue in comparison to work you know do you feel like there's something else in the horizon for you that you'd want to now change to or do you feel like this you found you finally found something that you feel like it's somewhere you want to stay for longer yeah i i i i i have found something which i want to stay for I, I, my only regret with the study cam is i wish i found it earlier in my life you know uh then i would have more experience with it but you know i guess everything has a time and my time was a little late but so i mean i from i said as i said from 2014 there so it's, it's been like 6 years i've been doing study cam and uh uh i think i think it's it's the the future is there because you know now with the internet a lot of people watch behind the scenes and then sometimes you see behind the scenes in uh for a, a, a hollywood film or a tv series and you see them they're using steady cam like the movie like um uh, 1917 it was i mean the whole, the whole movie the camera was moving and sometimes they used to use a steady cam sometimes trinity sometimes uh techno crane you know depending on what uh is required and when you watch those behind the scenes and maybe the directors and the producers they feel like i also want to get a shot like this and that's when you come in you know so i guess it's just uh, awareness for people you know and sometimes uh, the the people who are worked with sometimes 
they always called me back saying, like, you know, we didn't know how fast the steady cam was. I always thought it was going to take so long. But once you set it up, once the balance is there, I mean, you can move the camera wherever you want and, you know, you don't need uh, dollies. I mean, of course, a dolly is another tool where you really need to be super straight and perfect and you use a dolly and I use the dolly a lot. But when you are running in the forest or things like that, to set up a dolly there, it would take longer because the grips have to level the ground and put the tracks. And once that shot is done and you move on, you have to remove everything with a steady cam. You just walk with it. So a lot of times with music videos and stuff, you, you get your motion and it's fast. So I, I think people have started to realize and I, I get called on many jobs, music videos, movies and things like that. But I think the thing is that people feel like it's a tool for only the big budget uh, jobs. But it's not. It's, I mean, yes, it's an expensive tool, but you, you can always talk budgets with somebody. And sometimes when, if you like a certain project and you feel like, you know, I want to be part of this project, for me, sometimes money is not like a, I, I look at the job and I say, no, I, I, I want to use this in my showreel, you know. And mm. yeah, I take it. Hmm. Okay, uh, so before we jump into like the YouTube part and you watch a bit of the show, we'll talk a bit more technical things about um, Steadicams. I'll ask the one question I have that I, I'm asking everyone I sit down with. If there was a big fan, a big fan of yours, you know, someone who has like a painting of yours on their wall, you know, because they're like a, someone they look up to and they, they want to follow in your footsteps and you had five minutes with them, what would you teach them? What would I teach them? Yeah. Okay. I I mean, I guess first you need to know why are they following you? <laughs> <laughs> and why do they have a picture of you? On the road, you know? Yeah. But uh, I, I think if I have five minutes, I will just tell somebody, look, uh, if you have a passion for something, you, you go for it, you know. Obstacles are always there. There's always a better thing or always a, you know. But I think... Everyone will get a, can get a chance if you just work hard. You know, you if you're on set, you you respect and be ethical on set. You know, not be on your phone all the whole time because you know, a lot of people do that. And you'll get hired again. And you focus on your not because of anything, but you want to make yourself better. You know, and you critic yourself. And if somebody is telling you, you know, you're not good enough, okay, maybe that's their opinion. And if you feel the same, like, you know what, you're, this guy is right, I, sh I could do better, then just improve, you know, practice. Because, I mean, there's no other way in this. You have to just practice. Yeah, so if somebody really wants to do Steadicam, the only thing is, yes, save a little bit of money and get a Chinese knockoff or whatever, but get the rig and practice. And you, you, you get it, you know. It's not rocket science. It looks complicated, but it's not. All right. Thank you so much. And that's it for this section. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you shortly. Okay. Thank you so much, cool. Moha. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Moha, for making time. You can join us on Rika's YouTube channel, where we go deeper into Moha's work as a Steadicam operator. So see you on the next one.